0: When we look back on the year 1980, it sometimes feels like it wasn't that long ago, but put it this way. The year 2050 is closer to us than 1980 was. You can also put it this way. It's the same length of time when we look back on 1980 from now as looking back at 1940 was for people in 1980. So we're going to look at the year that kicked off the decade. So this is a series of looking at each year of the 80s and all the significant things that happened as far as pop culture moments, music, sports, movies. These aren't going to be released all in a row. They're just going to be sporadically dropped in every so often, kind of out of the blue, just to, you know, look back and remember each one of these years individually. So before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever we you find your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, here we go. So like I said, this is going to be more of a, obviously a general overview, because if we looked at everything that happened in each year of the decade, we'd be here till 2050. So it's going to be more focused on the pop culture related aspects. And as we start with the year 1980, it's as much, you know, we're coming out of the 70s as we are, you know, really starting a new decade. It usually takes a few years for each decade to sort of establish itself. So the start of each decade is as much a continuation as the decade before it. So I was born in the late 70s, and I didn't get to experience what the 70s were all about. From what I'm told, it wasn't the greatest decade. There were all the issues regarding the Vietnam War, Watergate, economic downturns, disco, and other horrible things like that. So the hope was, would the 1980s usher in a new and bountiful era? It starts with a changing of the guard to new president and Ronald Reagan. There is now an actor as president, but of course their president had to be an actor. He needed to look good on TV. We're not going to get into the political climate of the 1980s, but the thing is Ronald Reagan is extremely important when it comes to pop culture. And if you've spent any time on this podcast, you know all about Ronald Reagan and his deregulation of a lot of different industries, really. Reagan was big on pulling back the reins on everything that had been regulated, especially the economy. He believed that the free market should determine what succeeds and what doesn't. When it comes to kids growing up in the 80s, this is very important. Up until then, there were a lot of restrictions when it came to advertising to children. And like I said, I've covered this before on the show. If you want to go back into the archives and look that episode up, here's the quick rundown. One of the very first things Reagan did when he became president was pulled back those restrictions on advertising to kids. And this is why you see an explosion of pop culture going into the decade. The use of licensed characters rose by 300% and you could no longer tell what was a cartoon and what was a commercial. Kids were being protected from this up to that point as younger kids cannot physically differentiate between what is a show and what is an ad. And there had been tens of thousands of pages of research done on this to show that the kids just were easily manipulated because of being unable to recognize those differences. So since the floodgates were now open, we got this tidal wave of new cartoons and junk food, and breakfast cereals, and any other crap they could slap a logo on. But as a kid in the 80s, we didn't care. As we now got shows like G.I. Joe, Transformers, My Little Pony, Strawberry Shortcake, He-Man. We didn't realize that what we were watching was basically 22-minute long commercials. And this is slowly starting to happen in the year 1980. It's not established yet, but the framework has now been established. So as we move on, let's look at some other notable moments from this year. As mentioned, we're you know focusing mainly on pop culture-related things, so movies, TV shows, music. But here's a few things, in no particular order, that happened in this very first year to kick off the decade. So, on June 1st, 1980, CNN debuted. Mount St. Helens erupted on March 27th. Carl Sagan's Cosmos premiered, and the phrase billions and billions would annoyingly be used from that point forward. I didn't. I always thought this show and series came out in the 70s, but it came out in 1980. Uh, Polly D from Jersey Shore was born on July 5th. The dingo eight year baby phrase was born. Looking at a few uh, financial things bread cost 50 cents, the minimum wage was $3.10, and a brand new car would set you back around $7,500. The year 1980 was also the year that Eddie Murphy first debuted on Saturday Night Live. He was brought in to save that show. And then some notable books came out, including The Born Identity. Again, I had no idea those books were that old. Congo by Michael Crichton. Catch Me If You Can. And The Twits by Roald Dahl, along with The Cosmos Book by Carl Sagan. And specifically to me and all other Canadians, O Canada officially became our national anthem on july 1st okay let's look at some movies that came out in 1980 and two big ones specifically movies usually reflect the tone of the time period they are released in many of the movies of the 70s followed disaster themes as this was the mindset of many people at the time The 1980s would move into more adventurous science fiction and fantastical releases. So in the year 1980, here's two of the big influential movies that came out. The first was The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars was an obvious hit. So how do you follow up such a blockbuster? Many sequels try to rehash the original and they try to recapture that magic. George Lucas and writer Lawrence Kasdan went in a different direction and told a story that was darker and more intense. Kasdan has stated that The Empire Strikes Back serves as the second act of a three-act play. And that's where things often go to hell. And this often turns out to be the best act in the play. In the case of Star Wars, it really was. The Empire Strikes Back, not only the best of the original trilogy, the best Star Wars movie of all time. And I just did an episode where I ranked all the Star Wars movies and TV shows just a few episodes back if you want to check that one out. In The Empire Strikes Back, we went much deeper into the psyche of the characters. And then, you know, we get one of the best reveals in movie history. And then fun fact, no, I am your father is the correct line compared to the often wrongly repeated Luke, I am your father. Just fun fact. And then there was another movie that may even be more influential than The Empire Strikes Back. I was definitely too young to see The Shining when it came out in 1980. I don't know if I... Was ever really old enough for it, honestly. But we got a movie that changed the horror genre forever and gave us some of the most iconic imagery in film history. And again, I've got another show that goes way more in depth on this monumental movie if you want to go back. But it's notable as the movie is obviously filled with hidden meanings and different interpretations. Stanley Kubrick was notorious for his hidden messages. Was this movie about the faking of the moon landing? Is it about the Native American genocide? Is it about the descent of madness in man? And he was also notorious for pushing his actors to the edge. This is also notable with Shelley Duvall, who was pushed to the brink and would have breakdowns on the set to the point her hair was falling out. The scene where she's on the stairs with the baseball bat took a record for the time 127 takes. She wasn't even informed of what the scene was all about and just had to react. So what you're watching in the movie, as well, you know, say the act scene in the bathroom, you are seeing her genuine breakdown in real time. With the baseball bat scene, her hands are bleeding by the end from gripping the bat so hard. This movie has just grown over time and has become a massive influence on not just horror movies, but movies in general. So let's look at... A bunch of the other movies that came out so the highest grossing film of 1980 unsurprisingly the Empire strikes back bringing in 538 million dollars converted for today that's 1.6 billion and remember films opened on way fewer screens back then a few of the other notable movies that came out in 1980 airplane nine to five the gods must be crazy the blue lagoon the blues brothers Smokey and the bandit caddyshack flash gordon Friday the 13th and of course Herbie Goes Bananas. Let's look at some of the best music of the year 1980 and again a very interesting year when it came to music. You're still riding that disco funk wave and many of the styles that had dominated the airwaves in the 70s continued into the 80s the music that we would associate with the 80s hadn't really even been invented yet in some cases the band that may have best defined the year 1980 was blondie they took that disco sound from the 70s but they were starting to incorporate in different styles they incorporated the sound of new wave which would be a big style of the 1980s Call Me was originally pitched to Stevie Nicks, but Blondie jumped on it, and it would also be featured in the film American Gigolo. Even though bands like Devo, Depeche Mode, and Duran Duran would be the poster boys for New Wave, it was still the era of classic rock, and it wasn't going anywhere. Bands like Queen, ACDC, and the Rolling Stones were still prominent in the year 1980. The most groundbreaking work would also be the number one album of the year, The Wall, by Pink Floyd. This is an astonishing album that would influence hundreds of bands and musicians over the years and would also be watched perfectly sync with The Wizard of Oz for years to come. It actually does sync up. I've tried it. Another Brick in the Wall, Part 2, would be the number two Billboard single for 1980. And then I guess we have to look into the days the music died. 1980 was very significant because on September 25th, the greatest rock drummer of all time, John Bonham, passed away. Led Zeppelin decided they couldn't continue without the greatest backbone in rock history. And it's just, it's mind-blowing to think of all the lost music that could have been created had Bonham survived. I'm a drummer myself, and you can't even describe how great he was. It was like he was from another planet. He was creating grooves and, and feels and beats that you just people can't replicate even with on the same drum set and stuff. It was just something, this natural feel that he had. And of course we can't mention 1980 without bringing up the passing of the great John Lennon. I was too young to remember this, but the Beatles have been a huge part of mine and everyone's life for a long time. And, you know, I visited strawberry fields in central park many times and stood at the Dakota and the exact spot and all that stuff. And, you know, Losses in music really don't get any bigger than this. All right, let's just gears into the video games and technology from the year 1980. Things are really starting to take shape when it came to technology in the year 1980. The biggest of these would have to be the evolution of video games, and it's probably all in thanks to that yellow pizza-shaped character you just heard the theme of. Pac-Man was first released in Japan on May 22nd, 1980, and Pac-Man Fever was a very real thing, and this simple game would dominate not just video games, but the culture. All you were doing was chomping little pellets while trying to avoid the ghosts who have names. There's four of them, Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and for some reason Clyde. Pac-Man would lead to a massive amount of commercialism in the form of toys, bed sheets, lunch boxes, anything you could slap a label on. It would lead the way to a Pac-Man cartoon. I've reviewed all that sort of stuff. And oh, Pac-Man cereal. There was absolutely everything. It, it's it's hard to sort of understate how big pac-man was and this thing made billions of dollars considering it only cost 25 cents at a time to play it's an astonishing success story when it came to home video games it was obviously all about atari nintendo wouldn't come around for another five years so atari ruled the roost for home video game entertainment with their beautiful wood grain console to match your giant wood grain floor TV, the games were simple but still addictive. Besides Pac Man, some of the best video games from 1980 included Missile Command, Berserk, Rally X, Battlezone, Star Castle. This was considered the golden age of arcade games, but this would all come crashing down just a few years later in the great video game crash. Uh, that I've covered a ton of times on this show. And I won't get too much into that now. You can go back and check those episodes out and how the ET Atari video game may have been responsible for all of it. On the home computer front, we weren't quite there yet, but things were moving. Commodore had the VIC-20, but it was essentially just a keyboard. Seagate invented the first hard, uh, hard disk drive for microcomputers. And even though it didn't have the practical implications then... Tim Berners-Lee invented the hypertext, and he would help in the creation of the World Wide Web. And if you want to go back a little while in the archives, I did a four-part series all about the history of the Internet, starting in 1980 with its creation. Speaking of everything to do with computers and the Internet... 1980 is when Apple first put forth their initial public offering or their IPO to take the company public. It would be a few years until they shifted the culture with the Mac, but again, the wheels were in motion. Okay, let's look into TV now and some important milestones in TV in the year 1980. If you didn't grow up in the 80s or the early 80s, it's hard to emphasize how important TV was, especially in the year 1980. There were only three networks, and everything was put into the creation and production of TV shows. There wasn't cable. There was obviously no streaming services. So anything that was put out by the networks could be seen by, you know, a third, if not more, of the viewing public. Television events in the 80s were just that, events, and there was none more eventful than the Who Shot JR episode of Dallas. This was must-see TV before that phrase had ever been coined. This was the definition of water cooler talk. Everything about this show and episode went viral before that was even a thing. In the final scene of the 1979-1980 season, the scoundrel JR Ewing is shot twice by an unknown assassin. This was on March 21st, 1980, and the public would have to wait and speculate an agonizing nine months to find out if it was, spoiler alert, 40 plus years later, Kristen Shepard. The Who Done It episode at the time was the highest rated episode in TV history. 83 million people tuned in to watch it. That's Super Bowl viewing territory. But it wasn't all just rich people getting murdered on TV. I think Who Shot Mr. Burns would do it much better later on. There were some other very significant TV shows from the year 1980. Here are a couple of standouts from my perspective. How do I even explain how significant this show was to, you know, a kid growing up in the early 80s? The Dukes of Hazzard was the ultimate redneck of adventure. I mean, there's a lot of problematic stuff today and, you know, can easily be found pretty offensive and At the time, you know, the General Lee car was the coolest thing kids seen on TV, especially in the year 1980. It didn't have doors that could open. You had to jump through the window and slide across the hood. I tried that on my dad's car and left a jagged cut mark from the little metal parts on the pocket of my jeans. Remember, those are there for whatever reason. That didn't go over too well. But this was a massive show at the time and just kids ate it up. Another few interesting shows, uh, Bosom Buddies, you might not remember this one, again, depending on your age. It debuted on November 27th, 1980, and it introduced the world to a young Tom Hanks. Like a lot of things we look back on with a better perspective, this show is probably not the most sensitive as it featured two men dressing up as women to save money on rent. I've done a lot of things to save money on Rent too, but we don't have time to get into that. What's interesting about this show is it's one of the few ever that actually featured improvisation between Tom Hanks and co-star Peter Skulleri. Robin Williams would be one of the most famous for this when he was on Happy Days and then Mork and Mindy, but sitcoms have never really ever done this. You know, there might be the odd line thrown in here or there. Uh, it happened more as things progressed into the, you know, into the year 2000 and so on with, you know, shows like The Office. But there was a lot of improv, which was a big risk for a network show. Even though it only lasted two years, it was a big ratings hit. And that brings us to The David Letterman Show. Anything you see comedy-wise on late-night shows today probably have their roots with The David Letterman Show. He changed the course of late night TV and brought to it an edgier, wackier level. But before that, the David Letterman show started as a morning show. If you can believe that it started on June 23rd, 1980. What the David Letterman show did is set the stage for what would become late night with David Letterman. Again, it was edgy. It was inappropriate. It pushed the limits of comedy and it all started as a morning show, again, if you can believe it. So if this was the things that you're familiar now with, you know, the, you know, stupid pet tricks and all that crazy stuff, throwing stuff off roofs, this all happened on a morning show. And you could imagine that people were absolutely horrified until he eventually was pushed to late night. But it was a critical success. And even though it only lasted two seasons, this is what led to Letterman getting his own late show and changing the trajectory of television comedy. So those are a few of the standouts, I'd say. But here's a look at the top 10 rated shows in the year 1980. Number one, by, not by far, but by a bit, was Dallas. It had around a 34.5 rating. The Dukes of Hazard was number two with 27.3 million average viewers. Number three was 60 Minutes. Number four was MASH. Number five was The Love Boat. Number six was The Jeffersons. Number seven was Alice. Number eight was House Calls, which I don't even know what that is. I have to look that one up again. Um, And then tied for, well, ninth and 10th was Three's Company and Little House on the Prairie. So I mentioned that, you know, the ratings of Dallas, like 34.5 million. The Duke's Hazard, 27.3 million. This is how to tell how powerful TV was back then. The highest rated sitcom we've had in the last few years, by far, was the finale of The Big Bang Theory. Its ratings wouldn't even put it in the top five in the year 1980. Another way to look at this is with, say, like huge shows uh, that seem to draw the attention of everyone watching, like Game of Thrones. At its very highest, the ratings of Game of Thrones wouldn't even put it in the top 25 in the year 1980. And the interesting thing here as well of those top 10 shows, seven of them were on CBS. CBS dominated television in the early 80s. This would not last, you know, and every network seems to go through their own cycles. And, you know, NBC dominated for a couple decades in the 90s and 2000s, but this was the time of CBS. Okay. Let's move into some major sporting events in 1980, and it really is boiled down to one big moment. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Do you believe in miracles maybe the best way to sum up 1980 when it came to sporting events there was no sporting event bigger than the miracle on ice when an upstart team of college hockey players pretty much representing america took on the juggernaut that was the soviet union it's it's i don't know if you're a hockey fan hockey is my life so you know even not being american how big and significant this moment is and how hard it is to explain in case you're not a hockey fan the honestly the closest you can compare this to is the average, say, college basketball team knocking off the Chicago Bulls in their prime, like Jordan, Pip, and Rodman, that like that's the best way. If you're a hockey fan right now, with the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup this year, the closest comparison would be like a high school team beating them. That's how big this was. Um, and another, it's, this sort of gets pushed to the side. You also have to look at the fact you can be pretty sure the Soviet players were all using allegedly some form of enhancement uh, as it appears all the other Russian athletes were at the time. So the fact that the Americans, these kids were able to beat these like robot warrior athletes is just phenomenal. And this Soviet American issue would carry over into the summer Olympics of the year 1980. The Soviets had invaded Afghanistan and the Americans decided to boycott the summer Olympics, which just happened to be in Moscow that year. If you want to see this play out in a much funnier example, you just have to watch that Simpsons episode when Krusty Burger tries to rig the Olympic contest in one of the all-time best episodes. Let's look at the champions of the big sports here in North America. So in the NHL, the New York Islanders won the Stanley Cup. Those golden years would never return, unfortunately, to Long Island. In the NBA... The champion were, with a young rookie named Magic Johnson, the L.A. Lakers. The Philadelphia Phillies, powered by cheesesteaks, won the World Series. And the Pittsburgh Steelers won the Super Bowl, a very good year for Pennsylvania teams. Here are a few other notable sporting performances from the year 1980. Bjorn Borg wins Wimbledon. His hair wins second place. Sugar Ray Leonard defeats uh, Roberto Duran in the No Mas fight. Larry Holmes defeated Muhammad Ali in Ali's last title bout. Jack Nicholas wins the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open. And the Kentucky Derby was run won by Genuine Risk. The last category we're going to look at here that I found really interesting are the toys from the year 1980. Star Wars action figures were going strong into the year 1980. If you're familiar with your toy history and you know, you've hung around this podcast a little bit, you know all about the debacle of Star Wars toys in 1977. Star Wars was such a surprise hit that everyone was caught completely off guard, especially toy maker Kenner. No one was interested at first in this robot and monster space movie, and all these toy companies unfortunately passed on it. Kenner didn't think the movie would be anything great, but was interested in putting out like a modest line of space toys. When Star Wars became a blockbuster smash, they weren't even close to ready. This led to the infamous empty box campaign where people would buy a box that had a voucher that you sent in to have the toys delivered when they were ready, which was almost a year later. Eventually, things settled down, and in 1980, with The Empire Strikes Back being released, Star Wars toys were at an all-time high. If you have any of these kicking around in your attic or basement or whatever, or you know someone who does, hold on to them like grim death as they are worth serious money. But hands down, number one, no contest, the most dominant toy of the year 1980 was, if you've been around here before, you'd know this already, the Rubik's Cube. Again, Like Pac-Man, hard to understate what a phenomenon this toy was, not just of 1980 or the 80s, but of all time. And it begins with a guy named Erno Rubik, who was a professor from Hungary who invented the Rubik's Cube. He was looking for something for his architecture students to use to learn about the possibilities of space alteration and uh, objects when it came to design. The first prototype of the Rubik's Cube, called the Magic Cube, was just blocks of wood and elastic bands. The students loved it, and Rubik wondered if this was something that could be mass-produced for other students. The now-named Rubik's Cube took six years to put into production before it was released by Ideal Toys. The success of the Rubik's Cube was immediate. It sold, and has sold to this point, 350 million units. It's It won Toy of the Year awards for 1980 and then the next three straight years. It also led to the infamous, uh, or sorry, infamous Rubik the Amazing Cube cartoon show, which I've done an episode all about. The Rubik's Cube was so big in the year 1980 that books devoted to learning strategy, strategies to solve it would end up on the best-selling book list for that year. Okay, I'll start winding it down here. I, you know, I understand this is a very general overview of the year 1980, but I think we get a good snapshot of everything, and that's what I'm going to do with each of these year reviews. You know, coming up next, 1981. That could be in a little while. It could be two weeks from now. I'll just sort of sprinkle them here or there. And, you know, 1985's got a ton of interesting stuff that is very hard to cover in one episode. But that's what I'm doing. Just a, a quick snapshot. The 80s in general would bring with it a lot of change, progression, evolution. But at the start of the decade, like each decade, it was still trying to figure itself out. 1980 had to take much of the burden of the 70s, but try to shake that off and and move into a new direction. This direction would definitely happen, again, thanks to Ronald Reagan, as the age of wealth and yuppies would dominate the landscape. The 80s would experience a cultural and aesthetic change, including pastel colors, leg warmers, giant cell phones, and Walkmans everywhere you looked. Again, it would be a few years until all this happened, But the year 1980 gave us a brief glimpse into what this decade would become. So I'll finish it there. Thank you for listening. Hope you found this interesting and somewhat informative. And hopefully you enjoy hearing each of these year breakdowns coming. I'll finish here. If you want to turn it off now, that's awesome. If you're interested in supporting a show like this, keep listening. Where you can head to patreon.com, which is the platform to support these small independent shows for as little as like a few bucks a month. Um, but when you support it, there's different tier levels. And with every different tier, there's different rewards, like audio rewards. At the Boba Fett level, you get access to the Everything 80s Movie Club, where we review the good and the bad of 1980s movies. And just in general on Patreon, like, I'll release these shows there first before they go out live to the world. Um, I'll post random video clips of old commercials I love or pictures um general updates all that sort of stuff if you're interested you can head to patreon.com/80s so p a t r e o n.com/80s or wherever you're listening there should be a link to take you there okay that's it for me thank you for listening i'll be back soon with a new episode don't you dare miss it